This week on the SSPX podcast, we'll be sharing the parish mission from St. Vincent de Paul's in Kansas City as it was delivered in 2020. Today on the Tuesday of Holy Week, we'll be hearing from Father Michael Goldaddy on the topic of the scourging at the pillar. If you would like to hear more parish missions, reflections, conferences, as well as our Crisis in the Church series and Questions with Father series, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now we'll turn to the Tuesday evening conference from Father Goldaddy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, to disinstruct the hearts of thy faithful. By the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit, should be ever truly wise, rejoice in his consolation, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, we continue with the second day of the virtual mission uh, with the topic of the scourging at the pillar, and along with that, the idea of reparation, the reparation for sins. Again, we're considering our Lord at a specific moment in the Passion, a specific hour in the Passion, to borrow the language of our author from whom I uh, gain many thoughts, uh, Jude Mead, the book being The Hours of the Passion. So it's a particular moment of our Lord. Remember that Christ is made like unto us in all things except in sin. And yet it's the effects of sin for which he has to suffer. Upon him is laid the burden of all of our sins. He was wounded for our iniquities, prophesied Isaiah. He was bruised for our sins. There's an inescapable law in God's world, a law of divine retribution, a law of divine retribution. It's laid down for us by the Holy Ghost in the Book of Wisdom. The Book of Wisdom, chapter 11, verse 17 says, By what things a man sins, by the same also he is tormented. By what things a man sins, by the same also he is tormented. There's a proportion between our sins and and the way that we're punished for them, says the Holy Ghost in the Book of Wisdom. This then is the key to understanding the scourging of our Lord at the pillar. He willingly takes our sins upon himself and he suffers in his innocent flesh for us. Let us paint the picture. The gospel is very brief, in fact, on this particular torment of our Lord. The scene is related in a single sentence, the fact that he was scourged. The apostles, the evangelists, so close in time to the horrific reality, the shocking scene of the scourging, are quiet about the details. Because of the horror it gave them and their depth of personal love for our Lord, 
but we can imagine that the scene would progress like this. Our blessed Lord would be led off to the place of scourging. Every criminal was scourged before crucifixion. But at this point in the Passion, Pilate had no intention of crucifying Christ. He was going to scourge him, could be an example, a public spectacle, and then let him go. Therefore, this would be a, a special kind of scourging, a Roman punishment reserved for slaves. The Jewish law for scourging was 40 strokes minus one, so that the victim would not die under the lash. And the Roman scourging before crucifixion was also limited, sort of a, a vicious prudence on the part of the torturers to let the victim live long enough to be crucified. But as our Lord is stripped and tied to the pillar, his tormentors have no law to limit their fury. Here is a man that's come to them in fool's garment, and they are going to have their fun, and they are going to teach him a lesson against rebellion against the Roman yoke. And so our Lord is stripped of his garments, his hands are tied to the pillar of flagellation, and the soldiers appointed for the scourging take their place at each of his sides. And then they begin to rain blows upon his exposed flesh. These are rough and vulgar men, much in contrast to the, the beauty, the virtuousness, the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, his sensitive and delicate body, will only serve to hide his divinity. What shame, what embarrassment for him as he stands stripped of his garments, laid bare to the spectacle of all and to the lash. What a great suffering it is for our Lord. And the, the men begin their work. One stroke falls upon another with regularity. Each stroke leaves its mark. At first it's a blue welt, and then after that, the repeated blows bring forth a river of crimson blood, which runs to the ground. And how long this merciless beating lasts, we don't know. Perhaps the soldiers themselves were exhausted. Certainly the sufferings of our Lord were not considered by them. Historians at the time recording scourging in general will use very vigorous language, talking about a bite of the, uh, of the lash, a tear of the flesh, the furrowing of the skin. This is the reality of the awful torment our Lord went through. And we have the record of the Shroud of Turin for our purposes as well, to see that our Lord was not spared in the scourging at the pillar. The scourging over the ropes, holding the, the body of our Lord were loosened. The whiplash and blood splash Christ collapsed to the pavement. Well did the prophet Isaiah write of him, from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot, there is no soundness in him. The prophet David, King David, 
seeing the Messiah in this utterly reduced condition, puts these words into the mouth of Christ. He says, I am a worm and no man. We know this well, Psalm 21, I am a worm and no man. In the liturgy on Good Friday, you can read this in your missals. You may not have the opportunity to see the ceremonies of Good Friday this year. It'll be a special suffering and on its own. But it's the, the liturgy is so rich uh, during these days, I encourage you to, to read it in your missal. My people, my people, what have I done to thee? Answer me. Thou hast scourged me and delivered me up. Why did Christ suffer so much? Why did Christ suffer in this manner? Christ is sinless. And here he lays crumpled on the ground at the foot of a blood-stained pillar. And of course the answer is because of sin. There is a law of retribution. Christ is reduced to this shameful state to atone for our sins. He suffers in our stead. And the fathers of the church tell us that Christ suffered this scourging at the pillar in a special manner for those sins of men that defile the body. It makes sense. And of all the sins that defile the body, the chief sin is that of impurity. So rampant in our day sins of the married, sins of the, the unmarried, sins committed together, sins committed alone, sins that make men and women lower than beasts. That's what impurity does. That's the degree to which impurity reduces us, lower than the beasts. And these sins that brought Christ down at a coupled heap at the foot of the column were the many sins of impurity committed today in times past. Unfortunately, today, there's not much shame for the sin of, of impurity. It's taken for granted. It's not even considered bad taste. At worst, it's considered weakness. But that's a, a cop-out. That's the easy way out, right? You even have those in professions today, whether it be in education or medicine, uh, psychology, who even recommend uh, s sinful actions of impurity for reasons who knows why, um, but uh, e even, even recommending it. Evil has become good. Evil has become good. What should we know about the malice, the evil of, of impurity? We have to judge, not as the world judges, but as God judges. Well, how does God judge the evils of impurity? Well, look at the chastisement of God in the history of scripture. For the sins of impurity, in the time of Noah, God flooded the earth, saved eight souls only. For the sin of impurity in the time of Lot, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed with fire and brimstone. And there are many, many more examples of this. The sin of impurity brings down divine retribution. 
and the sin of impurity doesn't just wait for divine retribution, it brings its own punishment as well. There are effects, immediate effects, to habits of, of impurity. Those that have habits of impurity will demonstrate oftentimes a lack of commitment, an inability to sacrifice. Our duty of state requires sacrifice. Fathers and mothers have to sacrifice for their family. Those in charge of others in some capacity have to sacrifice for them, teachers for their students. The, the impure soul is unable to do that. There's also a feebleness of mind, a feebleness of will. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas, in speaking about the capital vice of lust, um, will enumerate eight daughters of lust. Let me read them out to you. Blindness of mind, rashness, unmindfulness of others, inconstancy, self-love, hatred of God, cleaving to the present life, and a horror for the world to come. These are eight daughters, eight effects of the vice of lust. Blindness of mind. One may think that the angelic doctor, St. Thomas, had been reading the modern daily press or the television or just about most media uh, today. Uh, there's a great blindness uh, of mind. There's a great self-love that pervades the hearts of men and women as never before. Rashness. Our youth tend to be rash, willing to take any chance in time or eternity for the thrills of the flesh. Inconstancy. People are no longer constant, committed in their efforts committed uh, to avoid uh, sins. Hatred of God. God is hated in many parts of the world because he tells us as our creator that we shall not have sole dominion over our bodies. And of course, it makes sense that those that would follow this path cleave to the present life. They have to live for the pleasure of the moment. It's the attitude of this generation to live for the moment. And from that, again, naturally comes the horror for the world to come. Heaven has nothing to offer these children of the world who find satisfaction only with their own selfishness and the satisfaction of their flesh. All these things, because the mind, the heart are absorbed with the flesh, uh, the carnal life pays no attention to the interior life, the life of the spirit. Of course, many of us will remember at this moment, the warning of Fatima, the vision of hell to the three children, that vision of hell, which shook them. The vision of hell as was recorded, which disclosed beneath a sea of fire and plunged in this fire were demons and souls as if they were red hot coals, transparent, black or bronze colored with human forms, which floated about in the conflagration. Or remember that more souls 
go to hell for the sins of the flesh than any other. More souls go to hell for the sins of the flesh than for any other. We must judge the sins of the flesh, not as the world does, but as God does. And where can we see this sin in its true light, but in the scourging of our Lord at the pillar, the crumpled figure of our dear blessed Lord. There is a law of retribution. Every man will suffer those things in which he offends God. The wealthy will lose their goods. The proud will be brought down in weakness. The devotees of the flesh will suffer in their bodies. What am I going to do, my dear faithful? What am I, each one of us, going to do about it? I will endeavor to keep my body pure and my soul holy. I and each one of us will be careful with our eyes and take every precaution to guard against the accidental exposure, even accidental, to impurity. We need foresight. If, if one has fallen in a certain way because of certain circumstances, uh, they, they learn from that fall and they take uh, measures to guard against that in the future. We think especially in our day of the internet. We have to guard against impurity on the internet. It's, it's an obligation, it's a grave obligation. To guard especially our, our youth against the impurities on the internet. I will guard my thoughts lest I fuel the concupiscence of my flesh. Just with thought alone, we can sin mortally in impurity. I will avoid dangerous amusements, dangerous company, bad friends who speak or, um, or take pleasure in what is impure. I will mortify my flesh, practice mortifications, of different sorts, the mortifications of the flesh that strengthen us against impurity uh, tend to be more of those of, that are painful or the renunciation of, of things that cause us pleasure, food, drink. This mortification will strengthen us in our, our battle against impurity, against sensuality. But pray to our Lord Invoke our Lord, O oh, good Jesus, within thy wounds hide me. Pray to his mother, O oh, mother of sorrows, whose feast is this Friday. May I, through my efforts, be a source of consolation to you and not another sorrow in your heart.